Welcome to Paytech Talk, the podcast of payment technology law, brought to you by the dedicated lawyers at Adderholt Munich. With Paytech Talk, you get the latest trends and topics and experience the world of payment, banking, and IT. We are here at the headquarter of Paytech Talk. My name is Frank and I'm your host of today's show. I'm very happy to sit here with my dear colleague Susanne Grohe. Susanne, say hi. <laughs> hi. Uh, thanks again. You have been on the show many times. Really happy that you made it this time again. Susanne, you had a very interesting article last week on uh, Paytech Law about a very, very important topic connected to PC2 and AML regulation. I think the key statement of this article or the key topic of this article is as to whether a TPP should be subject to AML regulations. Well, you are the author of the article, so I uh, would like to, you to shortly summarize the topic and your opinion on that. Yeah, I, I was... Um... I was a bit uh, surprised that the article was so well received. Um, it seems that that topic is really floating in the air and a lot of people are thinking about it because we got a couple of comments and, and also other, other people published something on it. So as you said, the, the question is whether we have, new two, we have two new payment services under PSD2, um, payment initiation service and account information service, the ones that everyone talks about. And... I think every one of us was in an initial thinking was, okay, there are payment services and that means they should be regulated under um, the applicable AML laws. And while that is on a first glimpse, that, that seems to make sense. If you take a deeper look, this may actually not make a lot of sense. And if you look at the law, it, it actually doesn't say so. Because if you look into the AML 4, It says that all financial institutions should be obliged entities for the purposes of AML. And financial institution is defined by reference to the Capital Requirements Directive, and that in turn makes reference to the PSD2. And the PSD2, as we all know, doesn't know payment initiation services and it doesn't know account information services. So what we could say is PSD1 is being, going to be replaced by PSD2, and that's it. On the other hand, I mean, when AML 4 came into effect, it's, it was clear that the lawmakers already knew that there would be a PSD2 and there would be two new payment services. While from a regulatory perspective, they maybe couldn't make a reference to another directive that hadn't, been, hadn't gone into effect, there could have been something in, in the recitals or side notes or something that this should also apply then further on to payment initiation services and the confirmation services. But that's not the case. And then if you look in the transposition laws, and I was very happy to get a lot of help from our fintech lawyers network on actually looking, and it was interesting to get the comments from the colleagues that all said, mm, interesting question, I don't know, but it must be somewhere in the law. And they all came back, but one exception, I come to that. They all came back and said, no, um, our laws still make reference to PSD1 or the transposition law isn't there yet. They haven't thought about it. They, some of them actually talked to the regulator and they said, hmm, well, we don't know yet. But it's very clear that, uh, for instance, in the German law, there's the new AML law makes reference to a paragraph that is not going to be there anymore once the PSD2 transposition law takes effect. So the lawmakers will have to do something, but we don't know yet what they're going to do. So, uh, well, folks, now is the time to do lobby work. 
and it's um, and it's it's kind of it's kind of in the open what's going to happen. You made fair points there. It's uh, I think it's a. Uh... The situation as is uh, needs to be discussed uh, more, more thoroughly. Um, we had many discussions on social media as well, but let me just uh, take one step back. Could you, in short, um, explain how this PSD2, I'm a regulated entity thing, and AML regulation work together in a, as a principle so that the people that are not well aware of this regulation aspects understand how this regime of PSD2 and AML regulation works together. How does this work from a German perspective? And I think we can elaborate how it works from other jurisdictions, but... I think that's kind of the, the mechanisms are kind of the same across Europe because it comes from the regulation. And what happens is that basically obliged entities that, so that means entities that have to perform AML obligations, and that's namely KYC, but also others, um, that they are defined as, well, financial institutions, and that, that in turn is defined as every payment service that's in an annex to the PSD1. And that's basically, the annex is really a wash list. It lists all the payment services. Now, PSD2 amends this annex with two more payment services. And because of this amendment, the question is, basically, are they going to shred the list from PSD1 and substitute it with PSD2 lists and add these two and then just make them subject to the AML requirements or is there going to be an exception? And there is an exception, that's an exception that, that France has already made the decision that account information services under the, the new French law they're not being made subject to AML and payment initiation services um, they have a derogation from the normal um, KYC requirements and they're, they're, they're being regarded as a low-risk service and so they, they only have to do monitoring requirements and they don't have to do um, the full set of obligations under the AML laws. So there is already, the French seem to be the first that have implemented it, Well, the first I haven't looked at all 28 member states, obviously. But that's the question. The question is what's going to happen. If we look into the future and we see that there may be um, member states that make these two new payment services subject to AML and me, in, a, in a sense that they have to do full KYC, let's say even with face-to-face -face video agenda or anything like that, um, KYC obligations, give you an example, that would mean you use something like uh, Sofort or uh, you know one of these types of payment initiation services that come to mind. This is usually a one-off transaction. You don't even have a contractual relationship. So for every um, transaction you do, you would have to do a full KYC requirement if that's the law that's, that's coming into place. That's actually, the, I would say, the end to these type of services because that's, from a consumer experience, probably the worst that can happen and nobody's going to do that for a one-off payment. The costs for the payment service provider are prohibitive or just for an account information service, just let's say you have two accounts and that you just want to have your account overview and have like a little budget and, and this type of service and, and that's in an app. That app would be an account information service and for every time that you load that app, you first have to do a full KYC. If that's, uh, that's what the regulator would do, then um, I don't think that we will see many of these. So. And the, the other thing, should the regulator do it? I think that's, that's one of the important questions. And I mean, right. I think it's fair to say that most of the comments we got to that is that they follow my reasoning saying it's actually not necessary that account information services and payment initiation services 
um, are made subject to AML obligations because the, the risk of AML, like anti-money laundering or terrorist financing, isn't enhanced by these services. So if you look at them, account information services, they do not render in the possession of funds. It's only a view into an account. They cannot do anything. They don't move funds. They cannot initiate something. So I don't see just because you can look into several accounts, consolidated information, where there's any type of increased risk for terrorist financing or, uh, or money laundering. And then if you look at the initiation services, again, they do not, they do not um, enter into the possession of any funds. They initiate a payment, but there's no difference between somebody like submitting an online order or sending somebody with um, a piece of paper to the bank and putting it in their mailbox. And this person that does that isn't, isn't actually required to do AML checks either. Um, okay. So it's basically submitting an online payment order by technical means, and that doesn't enhance um, the risk of, of money laundering. Right, let me get, let me, so you elaborated a, a fair point here and I agree with your reasoning and we had also, we've seen in the social media and we had a, another discussion thread here from uh, Nadia van der Ver, uh, which is a well-known uh, lawyer from the Netherlands also, and she, she addressed the same topic and she has a similar reasoning. However, um, we have also, there's been some, some voices, I'm, I'm checking here with LinkedIn as I speak, that are saying that when you have a, a, a payment initiation service provider, PIS might have more information on, uh, on the customer, for example, as a account servicing provider or bank, because they might get also transaction data from the merchant. And his reasoning is that you have a purpose for him to also be obliged under AML regulation because he has more data than, for example, the bank has. And so it does make sense for a PISP to be um, subject to AML regulation. What is your, what is your opinion on, on, on this argument? Yeah, true and untrue, I would say. So if you look at the merchant side, that's true that probably a PISP um, that has a lot of merchant integrations does get more information from a merchant or they could get more information because there is well there is no requirement that the the PISP is built in a way that they get all the transaction data now this becomes a bit of a circular argument because you could say if they are obliged under AML laws and they have to do more transaction monitoring then they should actually uh, get all these transaction data so you know arguably but the question is that would maybe warrant an approach a little bit like the French do. Yes, do monitoring, do get the data, but it doesn't mean that you have to do a full KYC. Right. Because, as I said, I think this would be the death nail to these type of services. Because if you look at the customer, the consumer, that's usually, you don't have like a framework contract where it's worthwhile going through all the loops of full KYC and the identification of the customer because you know once you've done it, you can use that service um, over and over again. It makes sense to do it because if it's a one-off thing, I use it, this time I use a, um, a payment initiation service, next time I don't and so on, that you, you're not going to do it for one-off transactions. And because of that... Right. I don't think that the PISP actually does have more information on the consumer because they don't know them. They come in and I would argue that in this case, the bank has more information um, that the account servicing provider has more information on the consumer than the PISP. Right. 
Well, and then again, that's the, the, the discussion. I mean, you can argue from the one on the one side, PC2 uh, aims to foster TPPs. They want to have competition in this field. They want to uh, endorse payment initiation service providers and so forth. On the other hand, we have this uh, terrible terror attacks all throughout Europe and we say we need to have a stricter AML regime. So from this party say, well, on the PSD2 side, yes, you need to foster um, the, the TPPs. On the other side, you have AML. So how do you weigh in on that? So that's both uh, regulations are very important. So how do you bring them together? And also the user experience, you named it. I mean, you said it's a death nail. I mean, there. That's that's a hard fact. I think I would say that if the uh, AE does a regulation, which is already in force, and we have providers that have better ways to to KYC people, I think we can move around there. But I agree. That it's from a from a user experience. It's, it would be very bad if you would have a full KYC every time you want to do a, a user payment initiation service. So, what is your guess? What would ultimately happen? Let's start in Germany, and then again, um, what is your forecast for? Europe uh, in terms of uh, full harmonization of AML, is that a necessity? What is your point on that, on yeah. that issue? Well, I mean, I, I think I, I completely understand the political dimension of AML laws, in, in particular with regard to terrorist, uh, terrorist financing. And, and, it's, and I think everyone kind of agrees that uh, closing the loopholes there, making it not easier for terrorists to, to finance their attacks via, like, let's say, new payment methods and, and or lose AML um, implementations. That's, that's, I think everyone actually agrees on the goal. The, the question really is, is regulating AIS and PIS, are they, is that really going to help? Because as I said, if terrorists look into their accounts and are being identified that they can consolidate their data, is that really going to prevent terrorism? Because the looking at details isn't moving any money. It's not it's not financing anything and it's not it's not illegal assets from anywhere so it's just looking at accounts so i think the account information service we can really discount and then for the payment initiation services again my argument is it doesn't increase the risk it's just a different way on how to initiate a payment right. um, you know maybe you could say from a more theoretical or, or legislative point of view maybe it was not a good idea to actually add these as payment services because they are not actually doing payments you know that one is initiating something the other one is giving information but that's how it has happened and this is kind of the consequence of that and it does make sense from a regime of liability and all of that but it doesn't make sense from an AML point of view um, so for that do I hope that there will be full harmonization well I hope you know give up hope last the problem is AML is not a fully harmonized directive um, and it's because it touches on also internal security and you know the police and all of that that's still within the realms of the member states it's not harmonized across the EU I don't see that in the current state of the EU, we're going anywhere close to harmonization. So what I hope for is that there is an informal exchange among the regulators, and I can only hope that they kind of make it a more or less level playing field. Because what uh, otherwise, what's going to happen, a payment initiation services will get their license in the member states where there is the least amount of AML laws that they have to comply with. That's what's going to happen. And that's not the best, and that's not the best regulation, and that's not the best from a also economical standpoint. Uh, but that's that's often what happens, and and I think that would be a lost chance to have the EU as really 
for fintechs or these type of providers um, as as an as a really all member states should be accessible as where, where you put your seat. If there is if one member state implements um, very very strict AML obligations, that basically means you close the door in these type of services. Fair point. Thank you so much, Susanne. Um, again, we could go on forever. We haven't even touched the GDPR and how this affects the whole thing. But um, we'll, we will do this next time. Thank you so much for your time and for this uh, really great article you published on uh, Paytech Law and, and the podcast today. I hope we will come back to our show again soon. And thank you. Thank you. So folks, if you want to have more information about this topic, you will find several links in the show notes. And um, again, if you uh, like what we do here at Paytech Talk, we would be really, really happy if you would give us a review and uh, on iTunes. And please tell all your friends what we do here. And uh, thank you so much for your support. We're out. See you next week. Thank you for joining Paytech Talk today. For further information, visit your source for legal and industry-specific insights on payment, banking and IT and subscribe to our newsletter at paytechlaw.com.